All right, this is an oral history interview with Senator Sam Nunn for the Robert J. Dole Institute of Politics at the University of Kansas. We're in the Washington, D.C. offices of the Nuclear Threat Initiative, and today is Tuesday, December 16, 2008, and I'm Brian Williams. Senator, let's start with your earliest recollections of Senator Dole when he came into your consciousness. Well, I had read about Senator Dole before I got elected to the Senate uh, in 19... I got elected in November of 1972, and he was one of the real stars of the Senate, uh, even at that time. And so I knew of him, and I met him when I first uh, got elected and took office in Washington, uh, and knew that he was uh, one of the people most respected by both Democrats and Republicans, and uh, that he had a growing following in the country. So I was aware of Bob, though. I wasn't aware at that time of his wit and his sense of humor, and so I guess, like most people, I started really uh, noticing Dole and enjoy enjoyed watching him on the floor and listening to what I what he said, which you don't do for all senators, because I always thought there was going to be a good uh, one-liner coming out of it. So uh, Bob was one of those uh, leaders that you uh, respected and worked with, I worked with for, for a long time. So it was no surprise to you that he eventually became the leader. No, and I, I also, Russell Long, who was one of the people who helped me a lot when I first got to the Senate, uh, uh, leader on the on the Democratic side, and chair or ranking member, depending on who was in control of the finance committee, he and Bob worked together for years, and so a lot of Russell's very high regard for him more or less transferred to me because Russell was, along with Senator Stennis and uh, Senator Talmadge and a couple of others, was one of my real mentors. When you were working for your uh, great uncle, uh, Carl Vincent, uh, was Dole already in the House or not? He was there from 60 to 68. I didn't know him then. He he may have been there. If he was there in 1960, he was there, because I worked for my great-uncle in the Armed Services Committee on the House side in uh, 1962, right after I got out of law school. So, But I did not know uh, then-Congressman Dole. Right. Um, just an aside here, when you first come to the, con- uh, to the Senate, uh, what kind of protocol is there in terms of meeting members of the uh, Republican Party? Did you have any? Well, back in the time I got elected, you always uh, met them, and also you went to a lot of social functions where they were. I mean, when I first got elected, people stayed in Washington five days a week, went home if needed. On the weekends, we had recess periods where you'd go back to your home state. We weren't on the airplane uh, every single week then. You'd probably go to your home state once or twice a month. Uh, so I got to know Bob Dole and um, and, and got to... Uh, have a chance to know him as a person back uh, when you when you'd have functions maybe once every two or three weeks and you'd have four or five senators and their wives on both sides of the aisle and you would that that sort of faded in in recent years but back then you really got to know people on an individual basis not simply on a uh, debating on the floor basis and you also uh, we did uh, a good bit of foreign travel back then and we did it all, always Republicans and Democrats. And when you go with someone for four or five days or a week or two weeks on a, a trip, you get to know them pretty well. And so Senator Dole and I went on uh, several trips together over the period of time when I was in the Senate. Do any of those trips uh, stand out for you? Well, I remember uh, when Senator Dole was uh, co-chair of what we call the Arms Control Observer Group. Uh, Senator Dole and Senator Byrd helped form that group, and Senator Stevens and I had come up with sort of the idea 
uh, Senator Stevens and I uh, decided if we were ever going to have uh, Senate confirm or ratify the arms control agreements that were being discussed, we had to be part of the takeoff and not simply expected to vote for it when, when it landed. And so we formed the Arms Control Observer Group with the complete support of uh, Senator Dole and Senator Robert Byrd, who was then uh, the, the leader of the Senate on the Democratic side, Senator Dole on the Republican side. And uh, that was about 1984-85. Uh, during that period, we traveled together to Geneva, and Senator Dole and Senator Byrd not only empowered Senator Stevens and me as co-chairs, they basically convinced the uh, chairman of the committees that this was uh, a group that was so important it was going to overlap committees. So we had different people, armed services, foreign relations. And uh, not only that, they decided that they uh, would accept uh, our concept that they should be co-chairs because we knew the leaders were awfully important in any kind of arms control ratification process. And we felt that they themselves should be informed as we went along by the negotiators, meeting with the Russians in Geneva, meeting with our own negotiators, keeping up to date. That went on for two or three years. That's when Senator Dole and I were on the same airplane together and on the same trip together. In terms of uh, memories, I remember very well when he uh, would occasionally dart across to Italy from uh, Geneva. And uh, basically, I remember what a hero he was in Italy because Bob had fought in Italy uh, that was where I believe that was where he was wounded, and I remember one particular village we went to where he was hailed as the as the hero of all heroes. Uh, so we had some of that, but it was a pretty uh, also a pretty a rigorous uh, business-like and professional effort by uh, Democrats and Republicans, and it was an unusually successful effort. It was one of the things that um, people ask me today: How do you work across the aisle together? How do you get the Senate to look in the long term rather than simply the short term? And the example I used is the Arms Control Observer Group, but it only worked because the two leaders, uh, Byrd and Dole, uh, wanted it to work and were participants themselves and eliminated what I call the stovepipe approach to everything where the committees look at only one part of the picture and no one's looking at the entire picture. So that, that was very successful. And I came to know and admire Bob Dole during that uh, several-year effort. I think what you've just been saying anticipates my next question, which is what would be the terms you'd use to describe him as the Republican leader? First of all, very smart. And second, very patriotic, loves the country. Uh, third, uh, very loyal to his home state, always making sure that he didn't forget where he came from. And uh, fourth, uh, could be very... Uh, firm and tough in debates, but also had a keen wit, and uh, he was basically of the school that uh, was willing to differ, was willing to debate, was willing and always worked to defeat the people on the other side of the argument, but never to destroy. Uh, that's a big difference now. Uh, destruction was not his goal in terms of the opposition. He was a principled opposition leader. He often opposed uh, what Democratic leaders were, were, were uh, proposing and what uh, presidents were proposing on the Democratic side, but he always did it in a way that was principled and that differed without uh, having a goal of destruction. Let me ask you this. Um, when I used to watch the morning, Sunday morning programs and Senator Dole was on as spokesperson for the Republicans, he struck me as a little bit harsh. And I was wondering whether that public presentation 
that the media picked up on, and working with him on the floor of the Senate and in committees and so forth, was there a big difference? There was a there was a big difference in public perception and and the real Bob Dole, because while he was tough in debates and he could be tough in discussions, uh, he was all he always had a redeeming wit, and it was many times it was about self depreciating humor. Uh, and that was a, a feature that never made us in the Senate think of Bob as being harsh. Although during his campaign, and I assume sometimes on uh, television, he would come across to the public that way. But it was always my view that they really did not know and understand uh, the real Bob Dole, who was um, a lot of fun, as well as a very principled and tough debater and when, advocate. When you first came in, he was known as Nixon's hatchet man. But uh, you must have seen him moderate that uh, as time went by. Well, he was known as that, but he didn't get caught up in the Watergate uh, situation, and he uh, was not in any way implicated. So he he rose above the actual, uh, the real hatchet men. He may have been a debating hatchet person in terms of that was his image, but he certainly wasn't uh, in the in the camp that uh, really did the the dirty stuff. I counted up, and you served, while you were in the Senate, uh, there were six leaders, uh, starting with Mansfield. Uh, Man let me just read them off. Mansfield, Byrd, Baker, Mitchell, Lott, and Dole. Where does Dole fit in that panoply of individuals? Well, the first thing about Bob is you have to sort of understand that he and Robert Byrd had great respect for each other. So that, that enabled them to really differ but to work together. And in the final analysis, they understood each other. They didn't blindside each other. Uh, I don't think they tried to trick each other. There wasn't any deviousness in their relationship. So from that point of view, it, it sort of spread through the Senate on both sides. At least those of us who felt the job of the, the Senate was to find common ground. Uh, you find it not by simply coming to uh, a eureka moment saying, here we are. You do it by debate. You do it by discussion. You do it by differing. And you then uh, hear what the other side's saying. Uh, and Bird and Dole worked together very well on that. Uh, the so I, I, since Bird was very supportive of what I was doing as chairman of the Armed Services Committee, or even when I was a ranking member when the Republicans were in control, and since he and Dole got along very well, uh, many times uh, Dole was uh, now on the same side. Uh, for instance, it's tough getting a defense bill through every single amendment. People back in those days thought the defense authorization bill was going to pass and therefore was going to become law and therefore was uh, sort of an engine that you could hitch every car onto and every caboose. So we had huge number of amendments. We'd have two or three hundred amendments that we had to handle during the course of floor debate. Sometimes that debate lasted no less than 10 days to 12 days, sometimes three, four weeks. And so it took the leadership on both, uh, both the Democratic and Republican as well as the committee leadership, in that case Senator Warner and myself usually, it, uh, it took uh, that kind of cooperation to get the bill through. So we may have differed on a lot of amendments, but we were talking constantly about how do we get this, uh, this bill passed? How do we get it to conference? How do we get it to uh, take care of the security needs of our country? And Bob was always on the side of those who wanted to get things done. He, uh, he, he believed his job was to, uh, to legislate and to get uh, the crucial legislation that affected security of the nation, the economy of the nation, the finances of the nation, done. And so whether it was taxes or whether it was a defense bill, 
Uh, Bob was one of those who um, who uh, made the system work. And uh, every day, I think when he got up, he he was really saying, "How do you make the system work?" Sometimes you block things in order to make it work on the other side of the uh, of that. And certainly, the filibuster was part of the Senate life. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, his job was to find uh, common ground in the final analysis to make this country stronger and greater. And that's why, in my book, uh, Bob Dole has to be considered a patriot and a one of the, one of the finest leaders we've had in the history of the United States Senate. In terms of the issues that you dealt with, <clears throat> what come the, what were sort of the stickiest issues you had with Bob Dole? I think the, probably the one where there was more uh, vitriol than on any other was uh, it was the very nature of it was probably the Tower nomination because it uh, didn't start off being partisan. Senator Warner and I worked together as a, uh, chairman and ranking member of the committee. This was after uh, President Herbert Walker Bush got elected in 19, that would have been 1988. Uh, and we worked together. We had all sorts of FBI reports that went into a lot of uh, allegations that uh, related to Senator Tower, particularly the, the drinking allegation. Uh, and so it started off uh, uh, bipartisan. And uh, most of the whole course of it was bipartisan. But when it finally poured out on the floor of the Senate, by that time Senator Warner had decided he was going to support the nomination during the course of all of our deliberations. Uh, he and I had worked together, and so there was not partisanship during the investigative stage. But in the final analysis, we were on the opposite side. And Senator Dole felt as the leader um, on the Republican side, uh, he needed to really support uh, the new president's uh, nominee. And so that got that got pretty pretty uh, tough. And it was never uh, I don't remember any venom between the two of us uh, on the floor, but there were things said back then in the spirit of debate that uh, probably got a little beyond the the normal course of uh, of a Bob Dole Sam Nunn discussion. Was there ever a time during that period when when Dole shared with you that he also had some misgivings, or did he just move straight ahead? I always thought Bob saw what the problem was, and I always thought that probably behind the scenes, though I never knew it, there probably were some people like Bob, maybe him, counseling uh, President Bush to find another job for Senator Tower. Uh, Senator Tower was a person of integrity. He was a he was an effective leader in many respects. I personally never knew he had a serious drinking problem until this whole series of FBI reports, where there were hundreds of people interviewed. Uh, but putting him in the position of leader of several million young men and women uh, with alcohol and drugs being a huge problem in the military uh, was simply, to me, in my view, not the, ex not the right job. And it wasn't an acceptable job where if he had been in some other position, uh, I would have gone along with it. And uh, both Senator Warner and I tried to persuade Pres then-President Herbert Walker Bush of that. Uh, he obviously did not in the final analysis agree, though he probably thought about it. My guess is behind the scenes that there probably were some conversations that maybe your historical research will reveal where Bob Dole might have had the same advice, but that's simply speculation on my part. Bob and I never had that direct discussion, although we did talk and he did listen about the various uh, problems. I remember one term he came up with, which was good uh, with Bob and his humor. I took it uh, uh, with a great deal of, as, as, a, as a witty remark. It didn't bother me. But it was a pretty pretty effective. He kept Bob was trying to rally all the Republicans, and so the way to rally the Republicans was to say that all the Democrats were being partisan. 
And there were actually some Republicans, several who had great apprehensions about Senator Tall. But Bob came up with the term nonpartisan. And uh, he used that term on the floor over and over and over again. And uh, it, um, it, it was, it was pretty, pretty well done, pretty effective, because he got most of the Republicans to vote with Senator Tyler. And a number of them told me privately they thought um, that my position was the right position. And you never had any second thoughts? Well, it was one of those most difficult things I've ever been through. So second thoughts, not in the sense of second-guessing uh, the decision, because we took a, a lot of time to think about it. And as I said, Senator Warner and I deliberated on that subject a lot together and did not have that dissimilar view, but we did come down on the opposite side of the actual vote. So second thoughts would not be the right term, but regrets of having to go through it, feeling of deep pain because I personally like Senator Tawa, I thought he was a real American patriot, still do, uh, and felt he just had a serious problem and that we could not uh, um, ignore that problem. So... Second thoughts wouldn't be the right word, but uh, uh, disappointment and uh, uh, sort of an agony of going through that process was it was certainly uh, the right way to describe it from my point of view. You and Senator Dole both represented uh, farm states. Uh, did your philosophies on farm and the farm bills and whatnot coincide pretty much? Yes. I wasn't as directly involved in that. He and Senator Talmadge, my senior colleague who he and I served together the first six years of my career. Senator Talmadge was the chairman of the Agriculture Committee, and he and Senator Dole worked together on a lot of these things, just like Senator Dole was on the Finance Committee, and he also worked with Senator Long. So my relationship with Senator Dole on agriculture was seen through the eyes of Talmadge, which again was a good relationship. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that that Bob and I got along over the years and worked together on so many things is because the people who had served longer with Bob were people that I had such a close relationship with on the Democratic side. Um, Any other outstanding issues that uh, comes to mind in terms of your relations with Senator Dole? I I think you would have to say, uh, I'd have to look back at the whole record and all the votes, but one of the most important pieces of legislation that I handled and was involved in was my partnership with Barry Goldwater on what became known as the Goldwater-Nichols bill. But Barry and I in the Senate were the partners for about two, two and a half years where we really reorganized the U.S. military. We changed the whole relationship of the people out there in the field who were fighting the battles to the back in the Pentagon bureaucracy. We made the people in the field much more powerful. We took away some of the authority of the people back in the Pentagon, uh, and we basically emphasized the jointness, the importance of Navy, Army, Air Force, uh, Marine Corps, all working together in the battlefield sense and the planning and the takeoff and the landing. And uh, that was an extremely controversial bill. And Senator Dole was supportive of that legislation, even though the Marines and Navy were very much opposed to it. Uh, the Army and Air Force tended to at least be from neutral to positive. Uh, and he supported the efforts of Senator Dole, uh, Goldwater and myself. And this look back on is the most important uh, reform of the Pentagon in the last 50 years and has helped immensely on the battlefield and saved, uh, in my view, an awful lot of American agony and lives and resources and so forth. Uh, and without Senator Dole's support on that, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have passed it because the White House wasn't in favor of it. The Pentagon, by and large, wasn't in favor of it. And it was sort of Barry Goldwater and myself uh, rallying the troops in the Senate. So we had to have uh, Dole's support in, 
and bird support. And that would have been an easy place for Bob Dole to take a partisan position because he would have been lining up with a substantial part of the military and uh, lining up with uh, the White House. The White House didn't fall on its sword to try to defeat that legislation, but it certainly, Cap Weinberger was Secretary of Defense and he was definitely opposed to it. Now, part of the justification for that was economic. I mean, you're receiving money. Uh, right. And exactly. uh, what about your fiscal policies and doles? Did you have a lot of balanced budget? Uh, Southern Democrats, and I was in that category, today may be different, but Southern Democrats back then tended to agree with uh, what I would call the middle of the Republican Party. Moderate might not have been the right word because on fiscal issues would be more conservative, but not far right. And, and Bob Dole was in that, I call it, middle of the Republican Party. It's one of the reasons he was so successful. So Southern Democrats and Republicans, generally speaking, had a lot of similarities of views on fiscal policy and on defense and foreign policy. So I suspect if you looked at our voting record, other than those that simply were procedural, you would find an awful lot of similarities, particularly on fiscal policy. Uh, I felt then and still feel that we were at a, on, a, on a glide path that was going to lead to uh, huge fiscal problems because we were creating all these automatic entitlement programs. And so... Um, those were things where Bob Dole and I would have agreed um, much more often than we disagree. Um, <clears throat> just a couple of other areas I'd like to explore with you. Um, you mentioned before that the times when you first came to the Senate were different than they became towards the end of your, your career. Can you kind of look at your Senate years uh, in terms of epics or periods, both in terms of politics and culture? Was there a... Yeah, well... You know, when you look back, uh, my colleague um, and friend from Georgia, Newt Gingrich, got elected speaker, and that was a huge shift. That was a transformation because the Bob Michaels, who was then his predecessor on the Republican side, uh, who was not speaker but who was the Republican leader in the House before the Republicans had a majority in the House, Bob Michaels and Bob Dole were the, of the same school, and that was uh, basically debate, differ, uh, defeat, but do not destroy, and do not make an effort to destroy. We got into the politics of destruction, and you can decide, and history will decide, where that came from. Perhaps it was because Republicans in the House had been a minority so long and they'd been mistreated, but the venom and the bitterness that came out of the Gingrich uh, transformation when he defeated Bob Michael for leader on the Republican side, that bitterness poured over into the Senate and it poured over into the country, and it's still with us. It poured over into the talk shows and all of that. So that kind of venom and poison, perhaps it was inevitable. Uh, I don't think so. But Bob Dole would have uh, regretted that, in my view, did regret that, and Bob Michael regretted that as much as I did. Did that have any bearing on your deciding not to run for re-election? I had been so much involved in armed services and foreign policy, and 90, by 95 when I decided we'd gone through the Cold War, a huge amount of things that I'd worked on, whether it was Goldwater, Nichols, and later uh, called non-Luga legislation dealing with weapons of mass destruction left in the Soviet Union. A lot of that had passed and was law, and we'd moved through that era. So we were at a juncture where I didn't feel that I was leaving a huge amount of what I was personally involved in and leading on uh, undone. That was one factor. A second factor, to your point, was the Senate had become more bitter. Uh, we were becoming more and more of a body that met three days a week like the House. 
We had a whole lot less social activities across the aisle. Uh, when I made a Bill Perry was Secretary of Defense, and he gave a, a wonderful parade ceremony when I retired from the Senate over to the Pentagon. And I made about five or ten minutes worth of speeches. It was about a speech, five or ten minutes, lasted five or ten minutes, not long. But one of the things I said was that I never was able to pass a single significant piece of legislation without a Republican partner. And that was true. Uh, and that era had pretty much was fading. It had not left because Senator Luger and I were still working together, Senator Warner and I, but the new senators weren't, didn't have that relationship. And it was almost like a number of people had rather uh, not get something done than have to have a Republican get any credit for it on the Democratic side and the same sentiment in reverse on the Republican side. So we had passed through that era. It hadn't closed. Uh, a lot of goodwill still left, but uh, it was changing. It was changing rapidly, and the venom from the House was pouring into the Senate. Um, so that was part of my decision. But I'd been there 24 years then, and I felt it um, pretty good time to spend more, a little, more time and attention on family and uh, as my wife used to say, worry a little bit more about where the money's coming from and not where it's going. That was her standard instruction to me. <laughs> when you came to the Senate, did you have this mission uh, in, in terms of nuclear uh, arrangements and so forth in mind, or did you grow into that? Well, obviously the nuclear part came with knowledge and so forth as I served in the Senate, but uh, I had a lot of that in mind back when I came because I'd worked on the House side, the House Armed Services Committee. I came from an area of Georgia where we had a very large Air Force base. I was on advisory committees, and I'd worked with the U.S. Air Force and U.S. military. Fort Benning wasn't that far off with the Army. So, And my uncle had been chair of the Armed Services or the Naval Affairs Committee for a better part of 30, 30, 40 years. He served in the House for 50 years, Carl Vinson. So it was kind of in the blood. I wanted to be involved in defense. I wanted to be involved in foreign policy. I felt the Armed Services Committee uh, gave me both. And so I, I was really uh, very much involved in that. I'd also taken a very interesting trip back in 1962 when I was a staffer for the House Armed Services Committee. I was a young lawyer, just got out of law school, and I was 24 years old. And my boss came in one day and said he had to counsel a trip with other staffers from the House and Senate the Air Force was sponsoring to tour NATO bases in, in Europe. It was a three-week trip, and he said, would you like to go? And I said, I've never been out of the country, so I'd love to go. And so I spent three weeks over there. It was right in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. We were briefed because all of us were top secret cleared on every step. We saw the photographs every day. We were with the Air Force in Europe. I was sitting there with the head of the U.S. Air Force Europe in Wiesbaden for an evening meal. Uh, and he had all of his equipment right back of him. He told me he had less than two minutes to get all of his aircraft that were going to attack the Soviet Union, if ordered, uh, with nuclear weapons, get them off the ground because they were one-way mission, fighter planes with nuclear weapons. Uh, the pilots would be bailing out on the way back after dropping the bombs, and the um, Soviets knew that those were the first airplanes that were going to hit them and the first nuclear weapons that were going to hit them, so this was a prime target. So he had to get them off the ground quickly. All of that made a huge impression on me, and I decided then, I knew we'd come very close to a nuclear war, that, that I was going to spend, if I ever had a chance, and a lot of my time in the future, particularly if I ever got elected to the Congress, uh, working on those issues because I felt that we were really uh, uh, rolling the dice with God's creation. 
uh, that was not simply war. This was of another magnitude. We still face those problems, and I continue to be to work on it. So that went back to to when I was 24 year, years old and uh, made a, a huge impression on me. How do you think uh, Senator Dole ought to be remembered and how he will be remembered in time and in his period in history? Well, Bob is one of those people that um, has made such a deep imprint on the country in a positive way that he, he will always be remembered um, as a, an effective leader, as a dedicated American, as someone who loved the Senate of the United States, who loved the legislative process, and who loved the country. He'll also be remembered as someone who never forgot where he came from, and he will be remembered as someone who uh, understood the importance of, um, of the American veteran and making sure that they would never be forgotten for the sacrifices. He made enormous sacrifices himself and suffered physically from those sacrifices for all of his life after he was injured in World War II. And so I think one of the things that you'd have to say is Bob will never let the veterans be forgotten and the sacrifice be forgotten. And he will always be remembered as a champion of a strong economy, a strong national security, and uh, most of all, a strong and uh, leading America in world affairs. Anything you want to add to this? Mm. Thank you, thank you, Kathy. I think you're all covered. Good. All right. Well, one one other yes. thing that's a little interesting tidbit in history, if uh, if you want me to just talk about it, um, Bob probably would not uh, know this or even um, have uh, have it ever have registered on his on his mind. But I would say that uh, I had a a small role in him. Uh, becoming vice presidential candidate in 1976 and whatever uh, flowed from that part of his uh, career when he was running with Gerald Ford because my, one of my mentors was Scoop Jackson and Scoop was a Democrat from Washington State very well respected in the Senate and he, he uh, and I together I was young and he was already well established but uh, he persuaded me and I completely agreed that for anyone who was going to be head of the CIA uh, to be viewed as a partisan, as someone lined up with the Democratic or Republican Party, or someone who was using that post to run for president, would be very injurious to the intelligence community. And Scoop was a big supporter of a strong American intelligence and feeling that our security, Soviet Union, China, all of that depended on it. So. Uh, President Ford let it be known that he wanted to appoint George Herbert Walker Bush to be head of the CIA. Uh, he also uh, inadvertently let it be known that uh, George Herbert Walker Bush might be his choice for vice presidential candidate when he ran for election in 1976, because he'd been appointed, of course, after Nixon left office. Scoop and I insisted that... Uh, that George Herbert Walker Bush, we liked him, we thought he was very well qualified, but we did not want him to be using the CIA as the preparation post for running for vice president. So we insisted that uh, President Ford commit that that wouldn't happen if we were going to vote for his confirmation as head of CIA. Reluctantly, President Ford and uh, then nominee George Herbert Walker Bush agreed that he would not be uh, considered for the vice presidential candidate in uh, 1976. Bob Dole ended up being that vice presidential candidate. So when you see Senator Dole, tell him if he thinks that was a great thing for him, that he should thank Scoop Jackson and me, 
But if he doesn't, then uh, you know I can uh, I can understand it. But I think it was a, a big change and had an effect on the country. And later, of course, George Herbert Walker Bush became vice presidential uh, candidate under Reagan. So it was a in little interesting footnote to history. And I don't know where we whether we could still find that Jerry Ford letter, but it would be a little historical footnote here that would be part of the Bob Dole career. You know, everyone talks about Bob Dole's sense of humor, but hardly anyone ever shares with me a joke. They remember that he, they're one of his best lines. Do you have any candidates for that? It was never, he never told jokes. They were one-liners, and the one-liners were situational, and they were completely dependent on the environment. So if you just pulled out a whole litany of his one-liners without context, they probably would not be, uh, be that funny. But within context, they were, they were priceless. Good. Thanks very much.